Hello! Welcome to It's Okay to Feel with Jennifer and Noam, a NAMI OC podcast, where we explore mental health topics that help you feel your feelings and feel a little less alone. We're so happy you're here. Now, on to the show. Welcome to It's Okay to Feel, a NAMI Orange County podcast uh, hosted by Known Wells, that's me, and also hosted by my friend Jennifer Lynn. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, that's me. How are you, my friend? Oh, you know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Give me every detail. <laughs> oh, well, at 7.30 this morning. No, I'm okay. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling, to be honest to be honest with you, but I won't get into that because that's not what this show is no, about today. No, tell me every detail. I will not. Uh, this is episode 11. We're nearing the end of our run uh, on this show, It's Okay to Feel, and today's interview is with uh, Inertia DeWitt. Inertia is a therapist. She works with the chakras. She was a guest on my podcast, Yumi Empathy. She's wonderful. And the topic for this episode is Black Mental Health Matters. Uh, it's a great interview. We really loved talking to Inertia. And there was actually a moment in the conversation with Inertia where she corrected me. She like called me out on a thing. I'm like, yes, I love this. I love her for doing that. And it's what's needed for uh, people like myself, a white person, a white person, just like Jennifer, uh yeah um this very stuff very pale person very pale just a couple of pale paleys Posties. <laughs> um you know when we're talking about black mental health like it is important to couch that in the fact that Je- uh, jennifer and i are white and we come from a place of privilege right we so it's important to recognize that up front and I guess before we get to the interview, let's just talk a little bit about like why, I mean, I'll just start. Like for me, I wanted to do this episode because, um, you know, I, we talk about mental health and it being an important thing and it is, it's crucial. It's why we're doing this show, but I think like it's important to get into detail. It's important to get into like the nuance of like how, mental health impacts specific communities like the black community right so you know for example like i think the statistic is that like um you know maybe lower class poorer uh communities have less access to mental health care and a lot of those communities are like predominantly black and that's that's an issue that's a problem that's problematic that's like tied to the systemic racism that exists in this country that's problematic we need to talk about that we need to address that right um i wanted to share uh, a couple of organizations just up top here obviously nami oc is doing great work but there's some organizations that are doing specific work for mental health in the black community one is therapy for black girls uh, it's therapy for black um one is, uh, this is one of my favorites, uh, the Loveland Foundation, um, thelovelandfoundation.org. Uh, it was founded by Rachel Cargill, and it gives, um, it gives uh, you know, mental health uh, therapy and opportunity and access to, uh, to black people. And a couple more, uh, BEAM, uh, B-A-M, 
Black Emotional and Mental Health Beam. Uh, it's the Beam community. They're amazing. They have amazing resources. And then the last one I love is their therapyforblackmen.org. Therapyforblackmen.org. Just some great organizations that are uh, doing wonderful things in the black community when it comes to mental health specifically. So why does black mental health matter? Well, um, because mental health matters, period. But black mental health matters because, like I said, there's, there's, there's access issues for black communities. There are, um, like the statistics for, uh, black people and, uh, uh, the difference between black people and white people in terms of how they're impacted mental health wise, um, it's uh the percentages are very high in the black community like for instance this is from therapyforblackmen.org uh african americans are 20% more likely to have serious psychological distress than whites are that doesn't surprise me right like you're you're growing up in a white supremacist um nation like the united states you're you're dealing with racial trauma you're dealing with intergenerational racial trauma um, among men aged 18 to 44 who had daily feelings of anxiety or depression, non-Hispanic black and Hispanic men, uh, 26.4% were less likely than non-Hispanic white men, 45.4% to have used mental health treatments. That sucks. Like that sucks. That's basically saying like a person like me who has used mental health treatments, who does go to therapy, like, um, and, and, uh, you know, non-Hispanic black and Hispanic men, um, are not getting that care, which they should, uh, suicide is the third leading cause of death for African-American males age 15 to 24. That's insane. And African-American men ages 20 to 24 have the highest suicide rate among African-Americans of all ages, male and female, um, you know, <laughs> it's why men need to talk about their feelings, right? <laughs> like across the board. But, you know, those are just some like mind-blowing statistics that say to me, like, there's so much work that needs to be done in mental health uh, and specifically in the Black and the BIPOC community uh, specifically. So, Jennifer, when I, when I, say things like this what what comes to mind like how, how does it make you feel heavy heavy yeah I mean there's obviously there's a lot of unfairnesses <laughs> yeah happening and I think when sorry I'm having trouble articulating my thoughts it's okay <laughs> I think it's easy to not realize like how privileged you are when like that's the privilege, right? Is like, yeah, we don't have to think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because the world is hard, but then it's also, it could be so much harder, but when it's not. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not in a competition. We're not in a comparing game, right? Remember no, like I know. I week, know. week, you know, therapist known. I, I haven't had the, like the easiest life, like in the grand, in a vacuum, right? Like, you know, Right. Not a great dad, you know, some trauma, you know, eating disorders, depression, suicide stuff. Like, 
And yet, you know, I can hold that truth, that, that pain, you know, I can hold that truth and also understand that like, um, a black person, uh, doesn't have the advantages, doesn't have the privileges that I do, you know? So how do we, how do we bridge that gap? I don't know if I have the answers when it comes to mental health, but I do know that I, I would like to see our mental health, um, structures and systems in this country specifically uh be less like like run less like a business like run less like a capitalist you know system and more like a you know more like a uh socialist wonderland (laughs) do you think that will happen in our lifetime i don't think so I, i i don't but i you know, there, there are so many hurdles, right, you know, when it comes to just mental health access. Like there, there's the um, cultural hurdle, you know, and, and maybe in the black community, there's, there's a cultural component to, you know, you know, I remember having a conversation with my friend Danae Selkin, who was a guest mm-hmm. on the show, right? And she's, she's a black woman. And I remember her having a conversation on, on my podcast about the cultural stigma of mental health in the black community is stronger than maybe it is in, in, in my, uh, you know, sort of my family. Isn't that Um, crazy? Because it was like not talked about, like not necessarily super. No, it, no, it's, it wasn't either. And I I think like maybe if we were going to compare the two, like maybe one is just let's ignore it. Let's not talk about it. And one is, maybe more adamantly against it or something. I, I don't really know. It doesn't know the, exist. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't really know the nuances, but the, the fact remains is that like there's, there's, there's cultural stigma. There's the, yeah. just the access piece, right? There's the, you know, uh, people living in, in uh, lower income communities that don't have access to, to mental health care, you know, whether it's a, a, a monetary thing or just like a, geographical thing right Mm -hmm. like those are those are hurdles and those hurdles should not exist right you know these are hurdles that should not exist like one should be able to get the care that they need um regardless of money or background or whatever you know like it's i'm i'm i don't think it's gonna happen in our lifetime but we're old i think it'll happen maybe in you know, 50 years after us. I don't know. I mean, I'm being like cynical, but I don't know. I, no, I, I, I mean, I feel the same way, It, but I know it needs to change, but because it's so revolved around money, I don't, in our country is so revolved around money. I don't know if that will happen, but yeah. I was really happy that a lot of our, a lot of the therapists that we had on our show, they're all like, they all can handle like a sliding scale, like yeah. when needed. And that's nice to know. And then there's like some resources online. I am, do you have any suggestions if anyone is listening and struggling with the money part? Um, I struggle with the money part, so I don't go to a therapist because my money is tied to my worth, which is bad. So how, is there anything you could say to encourage someone if they are either struggling with the money part, but want to approach a sliding scale or even try to like an online option? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are, to your point, there are a lot of therapists that are operating on that sliding scale. Um, 
you know, and, and so I would seek out one of those, but there's also like, um, the organizations I, I just mentioned, you know, Loveland, uh, therapy for black girls, therapy for black men, uh, great orgs like that, you know, and I, I, and, and resources that NAMI provides, you know, resources like mental health, America, NAMI, uh, other organizations. I know that, you know, our, our pal, Dr. Christina Iglesia, who was um, guest, you know, guest number one or number two uh, on this show, she has the Therapy is Cool mental health campaign that, you know, all of the proceeds go to um, organizations or therapy groups that do offer uh, pro bono um, therapy. So, you know, there there are a lot of great organizations that are trying to bridge the gap between the need for mental health care and the lack in access or the lack in, you know, the, the hurdle, the financial hurdle. So there's lots of great resources um, out there. Um, before we get to our chat with Inertia, I just like, you know, when, when, you know, we're talking about like the big things, which is like the big, like one of the big solves is like fixing our healthcare system. Obviously, Jennifer and I can't do that, you know, but what we can do as white people, white people, we can um, talk about why black lives matter. We can talk about why black joy and love and care matters, right, with our family members, with our friends, and we don't allow, we don't allow for uh, racism in our groups. We, we call it out. We be bold in that. Like that is, that is the very least we can do. Uh, the other things we could do obviously is educate ourselves, you know, read wonderful books by Ibram Kendi or, uh, Ijuema Ajuo or Leila Said or, uh, Rachel Cargill, you know, has a great Patreon or, uh, Letty Shulman, uh, Rachel Ricketts, like all of these are amazing resources for um, anti-racism education that I highly recommend. Um, but yeah, that's those are some thoughts. I don't know if we like really tackled it head on, but we did our best for this pre-interview. Um, what you're really here for is the wonderful, wonderful Inertia DeWitt. Uh, really looking forward to that chat. Before we get to that, um, we have to say a thing, right? We have to or say a, a thing. A couple things. What are those things? I'm trying to bring them up. Uh, I just did, so I beat you, so I'll go first. Okay, go um, first. So our podcast, It's Okay to Feel, is for informational and educational or entertainment purposes only and is not suitable for medical or psychiatric advice, diagnosis, or treatment, which, duh, hello, look, look, not look at us because you're listening to us. Listen to us. But... We are just hopefully helpful people that are bringing you a little joy today. Hashtag hopefully helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, It's Okay to Feel is funded by the Orange County Healthcare Agency, the OCHCA, Behavioral Health Services, Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, the CARES Act, Um, which means uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to do this show. Uh, We've had fun. And uh, we appreciate the county and NAMI for supporting us in this uh, fun, creative endeavor. Uh, and 
Jennifer, where can find you? Yeah, where can people find you? <laughs> I was trying to beat you, but I didn't want to cut you off verbally. Um, if people would like to find me online, uh, I am at Jennifer Lynn, J-E-N-I-P-H-E-R-L-Y-N, and that's my name on Instagram. It's also my website handle. And I am trying to resuscitate my podcast, Rainy Day Diaries, uh, which has 52 amazing episodes right now, but hopefully we'll have another season soon. And where can people find you, Nose Wells? Yeah, they can find me at feelyhuman.co, feelyhuman.co, co, uh, .co, 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 .co. <laughs> feelyhuman.co. Like, okay, are you a car <laughs> <Yes>. commercial? Like <laughs> <laughs> feelyhuman.co. Uh, that's where um, you can learn more about my podcast, You Me Empathy, sign up for my free uh, two-week workshop, feelyhuman101, uh, buy shirts and t-shirts and stickers and things like that. Um and I'm on Instagram at Feely Human and at Yumi Empathy. Want to bring us out? Really? Do you it. Thing? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Should I be just like known? All right. Now I'm going to say an outro. <laughs> hey, remember that your feelings are valid. Your feelings are guideposts on your journey. And it's always okay to Welcome to It's Okay to Feel, a NAMI Orange County podcast. My name is Known Wells. I'm a feely human and I love dogs. And I'm here with my co-host, Jennifer Lynn. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, I'm a human. I'm Jennifer Lynn. I love dogs and lizards. Mm, my <laughs> dogs love lizards. That's, and, I have so much in common with your dogs. You do, you do. We should deep dive on that in another episode <laughs> because we're here today with wonderful feely human, Inertia DeWitt. Hello, Inertia. Hello, hello. Thank you for welcoming me. I am a feely human and I love, I always say I love all of God's creatures, but I don't want them near me all the time, you know? <laughs> like do you love the roaches too? And, you know? They belong here. All right, They're I'll here. send, you, I'll send them all to you. <laughs> I, I still have good boundaries, you know? <laughs> Everyone yes. deserves their home. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Well, Inertia, so, so happy to be connecting with you here on this podcast. Can you uh, do the listeners a favor and just introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about the work you do? Yes, absolutely. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work predominantly with folks who have experienced trauma um, or deal with, you know, kind of anxiety, typically anxiety, um, but a long list of other things as well. But that's the kind of main area. And I work predominantly as a somatic psychotherapist. So I come from a dance background. I've uh, taught yoga and, and studied yoga for 10 years now. And I bring all of that with me as a therapist um, who's got a biased opinion about the body being important and useful and <laughs> a necessary resource for us. Um, and luckily, you know, neuroscience supports that too, <laughs> supports that theory. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I like to offer clients, you know, an entryway sometimes or re re-entry back into their connection with their body because our culture 
by and large is very, um, has encouraged a lot of disconnect from our own physical sense and trauma also does that um, and it tends to do that. So yeah, a little yeah. about me. Yeah. No. So for the listeners, like uh, somatic means like in the body or of the body. Yeah. Soma is body. And so yeah. somatic it refers to pretty much anything related to the body, but there's also this, this sort of underlying philosophy or understanding that um, the body has wisdom the body holds information and it can be utilized and it can also be accessed in a way to support well-being. Yeah. What does that kind of therapy look like? Yeah. Like is oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, please. Um yeah, a lot of people ask me this like, well, so what does that mean, right? And I always say, you know, sometimes it will just be us talking. I'll just be talking, but I'm tracking my own physical embodied somatic experience and reflecting that back. And I'm also tracking yours, um, whoever's on the other end with me and inviting them in just with even questions of like, even right now we're together, the three of us and listeners and can do this as they listen, right? Like, what are you noticing happening right now in your body? What are you sensing? What are you feeling? Right. And that could be a literal sensation of like, well, for me, I can feel like the twist in my body and the way that I'm sitting, my posture and I can feel the weight of my, my right leg on top of my left. And if I were in maybe a more heightened state, I might feel, you know, some anxiety in my gut or something like that, right? Or I'm just noticing my breath. So just tuning into the sensory experience that's happening in the body. And then that also tends to lead us to emotional things. Yeah. Um, that's on what a I more love about it. Kind of, yeah, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, I <laughs> Where, mean, I, you know, I love the body piece of it because... Um, well, I mean, talking about like the emotional side, right? Like sometimes it's harder for people to get there, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and understanding that we all have these emotional lives, like this, that's the human experience, but the body is, it's a little easier maybe to access like, Hey, we all have bodies. We all have these like weird wobbly meat sacks things that we, we, we wag around. And, uh, I, I mean, I love that work because it it reminds us to pay attention right it reminds exactly. us to, to listen to the things yeah. that are around us right yeah exactly and and you know it can develop from there in a session it can become something that's a bit more um a bit more focused right they, there can be more uh intention around like okay so notice your shape notice your your actual physical shape where you are right now is that supporting the the goal of treatment? What would it be like for you to maybe stand up right now? What is it like to move around? What is it like to, you know, maybe you do lay down and you cover yourself with a blanket right now, you know, inviting people in to really use the body in this kind of way um, that might not be what you typically expect in, in a therapy process, especially because most people think you're just talking, right? Yeah. Um, and I love what you're saying too, as far as like, you know, we just kind of carry our bodies around because most of us are over identified with our mind. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the fact is we did, we did incarnate into a body and there's a reason for that, I think. Um, and you know, it's, it's a very interesting kind of when you really start to unpack, um, I guess I want to say like the existential level of that stuff, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, yeah. um, you start to understand like, wow, there's a lot of different systems working on my behalf and I'm not even aware of them, which is what I like to teach people about as far as specifically like the nervous system and mm -hmm. how that works with your brain and connects to your emotions and all of that. Yeah. 
So here's a segue. Uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of like systems and systems mm -hmm. uh, that we may not be aware of, right? And systems that maybe we're not paying attention to intersectionality, et cetera. Um, today on the show, we brought you on inertia to talk about truly why black mental health matters, right? And mm -hmm. and this is mm -hmm. uh, the system I'm referring to here is like, you know, maybe systemic racism is a thing that exists in the world, right? And mm -hmm. impacts mm -hmm. uh, the black community, you know, and their mental health. Mm -hmm. How, when you are doing your work as a therapist, as a somatic therapist, like, how does that play a role? Like, is that top mm -hmm. of mind? Is that piece of it? I mean, obviously, you as a black woman, you know, that that's a that's a thing that's top of mind. Like, how do you how are you navigating that stuff personally just now? Like, how are you mm -hmm. navigating that in your own mental health with your with your clients? Because it's, yeah. you know, we, we were talking before we even got recording. It's a big freaking deal, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's touches everything, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. This topic is huge. Um, systemic racism is this insidious thing that permeates and it just, it, it goes into everything as far as, you know, our life, our everyday life, it's, it's in our culture in so many deep ways. And I mean, first thing that kind of comes to mind for me is as a clinician, as a person is like remembering and knowing, like I moved from a place of knowing that um, my body, my physical body, my DNA, my genetics have encoded information that has been passed on to me from generation to generation, the wisdom and the trauma. And that's true for everyone, right? And so thinking about what specifically black, African-American um, bodies carry with them in this country is fascinating to me and also terrifying and disturbing and all of that. Um, but there's something really exciting to me about this movement of black mental health, like really picking up and becoming uh, important to not just, you know, the few, like it's a topic, it's a, it's a trend that I'm so happy for people to like jump on the bandwagon of, you know, yeah. um, because it does matter. And it, it, you know, that can be just in the statement, like joy matters, like black joy matters, right? Like that is mental health and a mental health kind of topic. So doing radical acts of like self-care, like that's important. And it's definitely not um, part of what the system <laughs> wants, right? The, right? the physical body has, it, it literally is the physical body that is under, um, how do I say this? I want to say attack, but like, it's, it's the quote problem, right? right? It's the actual color of one's skin that signifies a problem. So your own sense of identity, like that's, it's all mental health, you know, like how yeah. do we undo that? And part of that is to reclaim like ownership of my body, ownership of my identity, ownership of self. And I, again, I, so I am, biracial my parents are mixed race and so my my dad is african-american my mom is irish and portuguese and i don't singularly identify as being black i yeah. identify yeah. as being you know of many races or of many cultures rather like race to me is i don't know bothersome but um i acknowledge that it's real i acknowledge that we we see it as real but it it's so 
it's part of the system. Even that term is part of the system. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it can be a like any piece of identity. It could be on one hand, uh, it it holds history. It holds uh, import, right? It holds mm -hmm. um, like mm -hmm. I I have this personal connection to it, and it it means something to me because this is part of who I am. And the other mm -hmm. piece of it, it's it's a box, right? It's it yeah. tells people like, oh, this is the thing I am, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. And and that mm -hmm. could be mm -hmm. challenging and problematic in some ways. And mm -hmm. you know, as as humans, I think we have this maybe biological, you know, evolutionary need to break free of those boxes and and names and all these things, you know, mm -hmm. in the pursuit of whatever we want, right? Right. Well, it's complicated right, and it, because who is actually one box? Yeah, like, no one. We're multidimensional beings, like, and this idea of also identifying as such, you know, I think it's important to name that, like, black culture, black people, like blackness. That's not a monolith, right? Like, just like whiteness isn't, just like Asianness isn't. Like, it's not like there's just one thing, right? There's all this uh, variation and nuance within every subculture every culture and every subculture and you know for me like it's important to name that like I am biracial I mm -hmm. view myself as multicultural and multidimensional like I identify more as like an energy being than I even do sometimes as a human being yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like you know that's kind of how I look at myself so these and, and I think because of my upbringing and the time in which I was born um, you know it wasn't I was, I was a very rare kind of thing. Like I didn't see many mixed kids and mm. it wasn't, it wasn't, um, this sort of monolithic idea of blackness was much more true. At least it was that perpetuated sort of, um, image of this is what it means to be black. If you don't right. eat chicken, then you're not black. You know, if you, which I, I was raised vegetarian. So like, I don't eat fried chicken. I don't eat chicken at all. Like, right. I don't know. Like, I don't go to the barbecue cookout. Like, what am I going to eat? You know, like I didn't have those types of experiences, um, you know, through, through pop culture and this and that there's ways of like, okay, well, I listen to rap. I listen to this. I listen to that. So is that black culture or is that the, a specific black culture, you know? Right. So for me, like having all of those challenges has also kind of led me into a certain kind of, uh, state of mind around, um, kind of maybe, being a little bit more radical and kind of pushing against like claiming those spaces um, mm -hmm. and not feeling so attached to them. However, I do think in my life, it's also been important for me to accept and embrace sort of blackness as, as a whole um, in my way, right? And I, I think that's also part of what um, I'm seeing in the, in the communities that I'm a part of and in terms of like what mental health um, you know, organizations I, I follow and stuff like that. There are also these invitations of like, you need, you need to embrace who you are as the individual, which may include access to black culture in the way that you experience it. And like, there's no right or wrong here. And that's, that's radical, you yeah. know, that you don't have to, uh, you know, as an example, right. This sort of cliche of like going to the cookout and eating fried chicken and listening to rap music, like that doesn't have to be your black experience. And, and that's important. Right. So, I mean, uh, there, there's a couple of things on my mind. One is that like you mentioned like monolith and 
I, I think one piece of it that, that we all need to like face and and probably dismantle is the fact that like whiteness has been the monolith, right? Like whiteness has been the default, right? For, mm-hmm. you know, for the beginning of time, right? Like that is the default. Mm-hmm. So like, how do we... Not the beginning of time, but <laughs> okay. it's the idea. That's part of the monolith that it has been, right? Like Right. That's true. Yeah. You're totally right. You're totally right. So there's that piece of it. And then the other thing that comes to mind, and you can comment on any of it, is like, what is your sense of like mental health awareness and conversations in the black community? Like, ha- is that improving? Like, because I know there's there's a cultural component to that. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So this is why I mean I'm excited about this because of it becoming this accessible and invitation and trend to to actually think about um, you know seeing a therapist. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people saying, you know, you can have faith, you can believe in Jesus and have Jesus and a therapist. Like those things are not mutually exclusive because um, part of the experience specifically being black in America is like Christianity was a, was a means to um, control and keep, Mm. um, you know, things in order, putting it lightly, right. That's part of the story. And it's also depending on how you view history, it's also uh, originally like ours <laughs> and it was contorted. So, you know, there's a connection for a lot of black people, not everyone, obviously, but there is that connection and it has been, um, historically, generally speaking, a roadblock to receiving mental health support. And there's, for me, a lot of questions about who benefits from that and why, um, why was that in place? And then there's also the very, very real, um, I wanted to use a bad word, but like the messed up truth <laughs> that um, in the earlier years of psychology and psychiatry, people of color, especially black people and black women um, were historically abused and used in that system, right? Mm-hmm. Like you didn't, you went, you were sent away, women as well, right? You were sent away. What were, what was going on? You're getting a lobotomy. You know, you're getting your brain scrambled, like, uh, or you're getting tested on, or you're getting, you know, like that, that really happened. Right. So part of the fear or the resistance to wanting to maybe see a therapist is also kind of, you know, I think of this intergenerational, like what's passed on, like Mm. part of that fear is encoded. It is a evolutionary, like strategy of survival, Mm. no I'm not going to do that because grandma or grandpa or whoever you know didn't make it out of that it was used against us Um, and that's real that's real so I love that there are more people of color and I mean all different kinds of people not just the sort of um, cliche or um, you know archetypal image of what you think a therapist is you know the old white guy or whatever or you know an older white woman um, being the therapist, it, that image of who is the therapist is also really changing. You're getting such broad, um, you know, expansive sort of identities showing up in the space and the role of therapist. And that's what part of why I became a therapist, like was exciting to know that, hey, I know that this can actually work and that people can benefit from this because we have evolved as a field. We're not doing the crazy stuff from the past. I'm sure there are still problematic things and we'll, we'll figure that out as we go. But like, 
you're not getting experimented on in that kind of way, you know, um, you have agency <laughs> there's, you know, there's, yeah. So, you know, that makes me really excited to know that, um, people are recognizing, Hey, you know what, I, I do want to see a therapist who looks like me and there is representation for me to access. And I don't have to explain certain cultural things that are maybe part of like a black experience, um, that, on the, on, on like microaggressions and things like that, that people just, we just know like, oh yeah, I, I know what that look meant to, you know, you don't yeah. have to explain that to me or use a reference of pop culture that I'd be like, well, who is that artist or whatever, you know, like, I don't yeah. understand that. Like that can really mess up the flow. And so, um, you know, our representation matters in the field and this invitation and acknowledgement that like, yes, you can maintain your faith. That's huge. And again, I don't, I don't really think that these are specifically black issues, yeah. but, um, this, there's sort of a nuance there. I think that that definitely comes up with black folks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Have any thoughts, Jennifer? I'm taking it all in. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just like, blah, 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 sorry. <laughs> um, I know nothing about experimental therapy, so this all confuses me a little bit. So I have to do some research, uh, like the years ago kind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hopefully, hopefully not as much the now kind. Um, yeah, well, it's also like you're going to yeah. stand in line and get your quote flu shot, and then you find out you got sterilized. <laughs> like that should happen. Hysteria, <laughs> so, right? Hysteria you know? was a piece, and of hysteria that. is another yeah. piece of that. And that yeah. was, you know, that's also kind of this broad stroke women. But then yep. what, what happens within already highly marginalized and oppressed communities that gets used against you in, in different ways um, than just sort of, um, you know, being dismissed. But, you know, I, as far as my personal, like, family history, my great-grandmother was institutionalized. And I'm like, maybe it was because she had postpartum depression, mm. <laughs> you know? Like, she had a bunch of kids back-to-back. -back. Like, that's a lot you know, so, and she was an immigrant and, you know, that, and this is my Portuguese, um, great, great grandma. So like, <laughs> it's not just black people. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thinking about like that, I mean, it's, I'm grateful that we've made some progress since then. Um, I wonder how, so you are a therapist Mm -hmm. You work with clients. Like, what mm -hmm. is your, like, I don't, I'm not, I, I realize I don't know the answer to this. Like, what is your, do you have to like yearly keep up, like educating yourself? You know, is there like one, I mean, we, we obviously know the DSM, but is there like mm -hmm. accreditation? Like what is, what is yeah. that system like for you? Yeah. Well, and I have to say one more thing before we move on from that last question, because yeah. it's ringing in my mind right now, um, around this idea of faith and spirituality for folks who um, do have psychic gifts and psychic potentials of seeing, you know, being a medium or mm -hmm. seeing things or knowing things or hearing things, again, women, but within the black community, that's also been means for like institutionalization, right? So that just going back to like, why would people be maybe... Um, more vigilant about not participating in that. Like, that's another thing. Oh, you're just going to get put on medication because clearly you're, you're schizophrenic if you see things. Right. Now, I do think that there are 
like schizophrenia is a thing. <laughs> Witnessed it, know it, and my also, it. Yeah. and my dad, right? And so there's that is real. Yep. And also I know plenty of people, even within my own family that like see ghosts <laughs> and they're not distorted from reality. They're here, but they are like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I can see other things. So anywho, that's another little piece. So well, as far now, as- Now oh, yeah. I have a follow-up to your side <laughs> piece because yeah, yeah. <laughs> even in that, like it made me think of just like, there's a lot of cultural- appropriation a lot of oppression in like the medium psychic world right like mm-hmm. we see who a lot of who gets to be a medium who gets to be psychic who, exactly a lot of white like, people <laughs> exactly and then what we see in you know movies and stuff it's mm-hmm. always like this mm-hmm. person Exotic and, theme, yeah right? louisiana they have like weird mm-hmm. bones in their hair mm-hmm. it's i mean mm-hmm. it was cleo does anyone remember Cleo? Uh, of course. Cleo, Clearly. come on now. Call in. Give me a call. Tell me yeah. That's the first one I know about. <laughs> yeah, I love Cleo, Miss Cleo. Yeah. I mean, but it's also this caricature, right? Yeah. There's a caricature. There's an exoticism that's there, an appropriate appropriation sort of vibe there. Now, I don't know really her story. I don't know, right? But it's also marketing on her part if that's what she's doing, but yeah. um, or she did in the past. But like what you're saying as far as like media, um, I'm curious where you were going to go with that. Well, I mean, I from what I've seen in like representation of mediums and psychics and stuff in like TV shows and movies, it's it's always like quote-unquote dangerous right like they're 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 on the edges they're on the fringe right and they're always Mm -hmm. like portrayed in a way that I don't know has always like felt like uncomfortable to me like this this doesn't seem fair this doesn't seem fair Mm -hmm. right what about Patrick Mm -hmm. Jane from The Mentalist has anyone seen that that. I'm I'm on my second time watching it all the way through And I'm, I'm just, I keep thinking about Whoopi Goldberg and ghosts, you know? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. 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 That's an, that's an interesting thing. And it makes me actually think about like voodoo, right? The, even calling it voodoo is actually a derogatory kind of way of talking about voodoo, which is an actual practice. It's a spiritual practice that has a lot of depth and a lot of history and it's to been totally distorted and demonized, um, especially in Western and American culture. Hmm. Literally calling it voodoo is like disrespectful. <laughs> okay. So, um, and that happens all the time. And like most people don't know that, right? Right. But it, it's, it, is a, it is a practice. There's like, you know, a lot of people that this is real for them. This is what they do. Like I, you know. I know people like I dance with them. I, you know, I participate in these things. So um, that's been an interesting thing for me as an adult, like tapping into different, again, not all black culture, but like into aspects of black culture and black history um, and communities and finding out like, Oh, wow. I didn't know that actually up until a few years ago. Yeah. And what you said there is profound in that, in my mind, that's kind of what it's all about. It's it's about having an open mind and heart to experiences, right? And and mm-hmm. and a willingness to look at everything, uh, a willingness to 
you know, set aside any bias, any preconception, and a willingness to to shed it all for uh, connection, for learning, for growth, all of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mean as far as therapy goes or like as what far we should as be doing as people? Really, as far as anything goes, mm-hmm. like in my mind, like I, I mm-hmm. feel like that, like the human spirit is to change it's to progress Mm -hmm. it's to Mm -hmm. break down it's to build Mm -hmm. up again it's Mm -hmm. to listen and learn and Mm -hmm. empathize like yeah yeah we're adapters we're creators we're energy beings we're sentient beings we're tuned in we're plugged into one another like absolutely i'm with you on that and i think um you know just going kind of back to like the sense of well how does seeing those images and, and that that story basically of well you know, spiritual stuff is bad and scary. And, mm. and it's these, you know, exotic people that do it that on the fringes of society, you know? Um, yeah. And it, what if that's you? What if that's the only person in that show or that movie that you're like, well, that'll look like me. You know, it's, it's, there's sometimes the very direct messaging and there's this, all this implicit, um, un, you know, spoken messaging that you take in, especially as kids, um, sort of unfiltered that then that's that's like oh well that's that must be me or I, i'm going to reject that completely because i'm not like that you know so there's this divisive nature to it and it definitely um can mess with your your self-esteem which is i think another reason why black mental health matters right like there's a lot of repair to, to go on not just um not how do I say this? Not like racism is so big, right? That's an aspect of racism, but it's not yeah. just about like the current political things going on. It's also about the, the, the indoctrination of blackness as being bad and scary and this and that, you know, all these like negative things. Yeah. Um, I mean, even black magic, right? Like what is it called? Right. That? Um, yeah. and, and, and reprogramming that because that lives in our, our brain and our psyche and our, and our bodies and that trauma is also passed on to us in this way that that's to me the big reason why it matters right how so i i've gotten i mean this is very political but like you we've been hearing a lot of like um in response to you know people advocating for uh the black lives matter movement in response to that uh all lives matter right you know you've mm-hmm. you've heard that right mm-hmm. i'm wondering to you inertia like what do you think is going so on there i mean yeah. what do you think is <laughs> going on there like from there, yeah. from a psychological <laughs> perspective because yeah. mm-hmm. there's a piece of me that that you know can maybe go there and try to empathize and understand mm-hmm. but there's also a piece of me that just uh it makes me angry and upset and and why can't they see the damage they're doing and like how how have you unpacked that psychologically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so before i forget yes we are required to continually get education <laughs> and that is a thing <laughs> oh yes um, thank like you so I, many, I completely forgot. <laughs> you know credentialing kind of things like yes we have to do that we don't have to retake our exams but we do have to continuously update about like law and ethics because that's always changing and um, we're encouraged to continue, you know, studying different approaches. Um, so yes. <laughs> and as far as this uh, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter rebuttal thing, um, what I what stands out to me first is like we have to understand when you're seeing propaganda, right? Hmm. And um, 
and what that means. So I'm going to use something that everybody agrees with. Everybody agrees that ma- all lives matter. That's not, that's not what we're debating, right? All lives matter. What we're saying is that's true, but we're not being treated like that. We're right. not actually being treated like that. So to say all lives matter is a really, uh, you know, think of like neuro-linguistic programming. It's a really great way to confuse people because you're saying something, but the meaning of what you're saying is actually different, right? So it's kind of this coercive propaganda. Right. And, um, and that's the thing. It's, it's almost, it's like being gaslit, Yep. you know, it's like, you're saying this, but you're doing that, which you're, you're saying this, but what you really are meaning is this 90, I think it's 97% of what we communicate is in body language, tone, um, the energy of it. It's nonverbal. The, the 7% is, is the verbal piece is the actual mm. word. Right. So wow. like we're actually communicating you and I and Jennifer and even the people listening right now, like we're actually communicating, even though you might not see us, we're communicating in this nonverbal way in terms of the energy, the pitch, the tone, the feeling of what I'm saying. And that's that permeates through what all lives matter means, even though the all lives matter says, yeah, that I agree with that. But now you've just hooked me in to your um subversive way of essentially uh justifying not actually supporting the lives of black people right right yeah it's a very narcissistic thing to do um it's also reflective of what i would consider this um kind of competition mindset which is built on a scarcity mindset like you have scarcity at the base and then what happens after that? If that's the foundation of your 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 psyche, your sense of being here, that things are scarce and that you're fearful, then you then you have to compete, right? right? If I don't actually have enough for me and my family, then I'm gonna have to take from you. Right. right. And so right, like, yeah. but that's not true. There's actually an abundance of resource here. So much more. We're wasteful, right? So much more than we actually can manage. Um, the way that we're living right now. And it's it's so distorted. So on this fundamental like level of being, um, what I think, what I think, and I wish white, and this is also very general, right? But like white people as a larger culture um, would understand is their own fear, which you kind of mentioned earlier, the term white fragility, right? Like yep. that fragility is so destructive. And what's worse is that um, people can, people are so smart that they'll find a way of justifying their actions and their fears and their um, abuse, essentially, as a way of maintaining their own survival. And it's Mm. all emotional survival. It's not actually literal survival. We don't live in that age, right? But it's perceived the exact same way. Yeah. I just don't get it, though. It's like a bickering statement. Like, it's like you saying something and then someone, like you say like, oh, I want a piece of pie. No, I want a piece of pie. Like, I want yeah. all the pie. Like, and I don't get <laughs> yeah. it. Like, it's- Yeah, right. And, and it's, it's it, to me, like, um, so I'm a depth psychotherapist as well. I studied uh, psychodynamic sort of Jungian, uh, that Jungian sort of perspective, which is like, let's talk about the metaphor and the uncovering, like the layers of what the meaning of these things might be and the archetypes and this and that. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think of this as like, um, you know, there's this, there's this archetype, there's this energy that's 
kind of a developmentally stunted narcissistic development. Um, and this is not just white people, but the the energy of like the racist, you know, insidious kind of racist culture, that's the spirit of it. It's like um, it's like a three-year-old. It's like a th- three-year-old sometimes and then a 13-year-old, which is why Trump is president or, you know, thank God. Not anymore. Will be a was. was. Yeah, was. Exactly. yeah, he's not president. I'm sorry. But the re- yeah, yeah. But the reality <laughs> is um, he's not the only one and he's not going to be the last one who has yeah. this spirit, but he he's the embodiment. He is the caricature that holds the spirit of the archetype of this country, the shadow of it, this dark, ugly, gross shadow that most people want to ignore. Not just white people, but like most people want to just ignore and go, no, we're fine. It's okay. Right. Cause eh, life is kind of comfortable. So let's not look at that. Let's not think about that. And a lot of people do think about it. Right. A lot of black people, at least I know are talking about how crazy things have been for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but this this shadow is is the narcissism. It's this like really young developmental state. And it's to me when I also think about like I, I study the chakras and I think about that as like a developmental model, it's the root chakra is like there's some foundational issue there, which to me is about the scarcity mindset. Mm. We don't actually have to live in a scarcity mindset, but that's there. And that, that just as I as a as a black person, as a Portuguese person, I mean that's interesting to me thinking about, well, my Portuguese relatives as a, as a collective enslaved or helped to enslave my black relatives. Like, what do you do with that? Right. Um, but white folks have just as much trauma in their histories. And that is the piece that I, I would really hope um, that, that people start to think about that we've all around the world had a lot of crazy things happen and when you look at like British history and, you know, you, you really go into the, the deeper history of, of European countries and what was going on and thinking about the brutality that they had against one another and within their own communities, like shit was gnarly, yeah. you know? Um, and what does it take to then say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to enslave humans. Like you have to be in a, in a pretty distorted mindset, I think. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say so. I mean, but I do like before you can go there, you do like like you said, you do have to shed the scarcity mindset. You do have to shed this yeah. idea that like because I'm saying something like my truth, like his truth or her truth doesn't cancel out my truth. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, like multiple truths. <laughs> yeah, like all of that, like. Mm-hmm comparing and contrasting and the competition like ah, mm-hmm. let's do away yeah. with it like it's it yeah. just causes so much damage in our society yeah. yeah it really does and i think for me that's kind of where i i i see this paradigm shift it's this opportunity for us to really um start with a different foundation a foundation of actually having trust so I, I have a podcast. I talk a little bit about this on one of my episodes. Um, I, I wrote a little bit about this and I hope to write What's more. What's the podcast? Sort of yeah, I wanted to say that too. <laughs> What's the podcast it's called, name? It's called Healing is Mutual. Oh, yeah. Healing is Amazing. Mutual. And so I, I, I got this information sort of like just coming to me over the years. And I'm like, I got to write this down because it's important for me. It's sort of like a frame that I use to live my life. But I also think it's kind of, what I think we're moving toward as a collective, as a, as, you know, as a, as a 
species. Um, so again, I think about the chakras and the root chakra is, is our connection to the earth. The root chakra is our connection to family and tribe and mother and the body. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the place where we have really been living out of alignment. And so everything else that stacks on top of that is skewed, you know, it's, it's funky. (laughs) Um, and so my sense is like, we have to go back to the beginning and really heal that. I mean, we're very disconnected from not just the body, but the planet, like we're destroying the planet actively, you know, as a collective species. And we, we do all of those things because we are scared to be here and we don't trust being on this planet. We don't trust mother nature. We don't trust the mother. We don't trust the body. And so because of that, we have no capacity to actually move into a state of thriving and really like um, accessing what you were talking about earlier. Like we're, we're creative beings, right? Like we're here um, as these adaptive creative beings, but we're not accessing our full like potential to expand and grow and evolve because we're so, so stuck at that root level of trauma. Mm. So like the invitation, the idea is like, what if we released fear consciousness and uh you know scarcity consciousness and move towards what it's like to actually embody trust what is it like to actually embody meaning we've reprogrammed the trauma that tells us that we should live in scarcity that then sets us off into our fight flight our amygdala is going crazy fight flight freeze where we're moving from that state of consciousness and that like literal embodied behavior to a place of oh actually i trust that I have a place here. I trust that I belong here. I trust that everything I need is here. I mean, really think about it. Look around where you are right now. Literally everything that you have in your space right right now was made on this planet, came from this earth. Even the synthetic things came from this earth, right? Like everything you need is here. Hmm. It's available to you. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that are living in impoverished kind of conditions and oppressed conditions, and the sense of having access is really distorted, but that doesn't change the truth that you actually do have it here, that there are things here for you. And that's part of the reprogramming of, okay, you know what? I need to understand what it means to trust, because if I don't know what trust actually feels like, and a lot of people, including a lot of Black people, will be like, I don't trust people. You know, like trust is for chums. You're going to get, you're going to get abused if you trust. And that is that to me, if I could, if I could ask for everyone to focus on one thing, it would be that to really learn how to trust because that's the foundation of safety. I need to feel safe and I need to know how to trust. And that's the first lesson as a baby. That was literally how we ran my household. Oops, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, that was literally how I was raised is like, you don't trust people. People will let you down. Have a lot of dogs. <laughs> yeah. And that, 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 that can mess with you because we're, we're human beings. And that's the piece that stops us from actually having empathy. That's the piece that makes us feel competitive. It's deep neural programming. And, I'm, and I've done a, like these different trainings where I'm really learning about like how the brain works. And you know, I get nerdy about it because I'm like, there's actually encoding on your amygdala that, with that story. And then that, that story gets lit up and you go into, maybe you go into a fight mode. You know, some people have learned that, oh, I can fight all my problems. Right. And I think that in some ways, again, this is super overgeneralized, but a lot of white people and a lot of black people have learned that I have to fight my way through everything. 
it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, right? Yeah. Um, but other people, some people have learned through various reasons that there is no way out. I have no options. And so I'm going to just shut down and I'm going to dissociate from here even more. I'm going to disconnect even more. So I don't care. I'm numb, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm apathetic. The whole yeah. world sucks anyway. Yeah. Right? So inertia for the, for the young folks listening to this mm-hmm. episode, what would you say to them about like getting to that place of trust? Hmm. I really love working with um, like making it kind of like a game, right? So what can I trust? That could just be a question. What could I trust? What do I know about trust, right? That you just kind of have in your mind. But I love to play with things like, okay, I can trust that the sun is going to rise and it's going to set every day. I can trust that. And as you say that, and as you think about that, like, oh yeah, I really, I can trust that the sun is going to rise in this set, which means that I can trust that the earth is rotating around the sun. I can trust the earth is going to be rotating around the sun. I trust that. And as you start to say that and think about that, you actually, your, your system just goes, oh yeah, your body kind of relaxes and goes, yeah, I, I can trust that. I know what trust feels like. Trust feels like settling. Trust feels like <sighs> yielding a little bit and taking an exhale. Right. So you might not have adults that you can trust. You might not have people in your current environment that you can trust. And that's real. You need to know that you need to be able to discern who you can and can't trust. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't trust, period. Right. right. So hmm, I can trust that um, I'm going to get thirsty today. <laughs> I can trust that. I can trust, which is to say, I can trust that my body is going to give me a signal for when I need to eat. Yeah or drink, right? Oh, yeah, I can trust that. So that's how I like to kind of introduce these things to people. Um, And and the other thing would be to, you know, um, I I really like to think about me and my relationship with Mother Earth, the great mother. Okay, you may have a, yeah, right? Like, what is that like for you to just wherever you are right now, maybe you're laying down, maybe you're sitting, you know, right now, you are in a relationship with the earth. Hmm, what's that like? Everything that you're sitting on or touching was made from the earth. Hmm, what's that like? Even though you might be sitting on a chair or a couch or you're standing on the, on the floor in your home, the thing that you're making contact with is literally just a substitute for the earth. The earth is underneath all of that. And the earth is constantly saying, hey, come here. I love you. I got you. I have everything you need. Let me hold you right? We call it gravity, but it's earth's embrace. She's like, Hey, I got you. And so you can, you can play with like, Oh, what would it be like for me to like settle into the sense of earth holding me? Mm. I really love to do this exercise while laying down because you just like totally like let go, you know, you relax. And that sensation, that embodied practice, that somatic sense of yielding or releasing to the earth is the exhale is the, Oh, I'm okay right? I'm okay. I can trust that it's okay for me to be here right now. That is huge. So like your mother earth's voice. She has has a really soft voice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she can also be really, you know, intense, right? (laughs) As we know, mother earth's no joke, right? She fights for her, her creatures, all her creatures. Including cockroaches. She'll do what she needs to do. All the, yep, yep, exactly. She does. She does what she needs to do to make sure that we're, we're all okay. All New York City, so they can go <laughs> over my apartment. 
I love I love yeah. the way you think <clears throat> inertia and I I think it's a a beautiful lesson for me certainly for the listeners and in the I think the importance of the the exercise of thinking about how we are connected right mm. and how we um have meaning in the support and our supporting of the earth and the people around us right Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's enough for all of us and that, oh, I'm, I'm, we're tuned into one another. We can actually, um, take care of one another because what we all really do need at our core is a sense of belonging. That's also root chakra, the sense of belonging and connection. We're tribal yeah. beings, which is also the power of, you know, politics and things like that. And these, um, religious groups and things, right. It's not, it's not bad. It's actually part of our nature to organize like that in these kind of clusters because we need to have a sense of belonging, but um, we can, we can bond in more healthy, effective um, ways and not all the trauma bonding that has been going on for generations and generations and generations. Yeah. Um, so where do we want to go from here? Um, those were the main questions I had. Let me think. Did you have anything specific you wanted to ask, Jennifer? No, I'm good. Okay. Maybe uh, inertia. Like where people I, can I, go I, if yeah. they're feeling. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yes. I I want to share just on a little bit more of the like sciency end of this. Um, Please, nerd. <laughs> let me nerd away right now. <laughs> um, so you know. We have we're we have like electrical chemical stuff going on in our bodies all the time. Yep. Again, these are things we don't think about, but like your nervous system is like an electrical current <laughs> that's passing all these chemicals around, right? And it's those wild. chemicals tell you what to feel and do. It's wild. And most of what we do is habitual, which means we don't have to think about it, mm. right? We can rely on, oh, I trust the wisdom in which my ancestors have given me to be in this body at this point in time that I don't have to remember consciously everything all the time. Mm. And over my, the course of my, my life so far, I've developed certain habitual things that help me move through the world and give me a sense of what's possible in this world. And so when we um, experience trauma and we experience prolonged trauma, we have, um, you know, certain, uh, hormones being released, especially cortisol, it'll be released. And that has a lot of effects on our physiology. We can, we can have, I mean, autoimmune disorders can come from prolonged trauma. And the thing about this is also like trauma can be, and stress, these things can be quiet. They can sort of be under the surface and you don't fully even recognize it until you actually start to heal and you go, Oh my God. You know, it's like, people who like don't realize they need glasses and they put the glasses on. It's like, Oh, that's what that thing looks like. You know, right. or you get your, you know, it's like, Whoa, I didn't realize this is what it could be like to be in my body and to be human and to have the full range. So mm. one thing that I've um, learned is that, you know, folks who have experienced trauma, especially prolonged trauma need more self-care and self-love, which seems a bit obvious, but um what that what that means in a neural like <laughs> neural linguistic sort of neuro, not neurolinguistic but you know neurological way is that we actually have to do practices that help release and generate the 
self-love sort of elixir of GABA and um, serotonin, right? So doing things like yoga or, you know, a gentle touch, just like a very gentle touch, even on your face, like you, you know, soft touching your face, like really just gentle stroking, these soothing things that like you imagine maybe a mom or a dad doing to their little kid, right? Like rubbing the back. When we do that really soft kind of touch, it activates our nervous system in a way that's so soothing. It starts to release a Delta wave, which releases the GABA and serotonin where we get to go, Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> Basically it's like sending that off like, Oh, I'm okay. So all of the self-care practices is like super radical on this sort of political level, but it's also the remedy. It really is truly the remedy for all the trauma. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if we talked about this when you were on my show, Inertia, but um, the ACE studies uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. just adverse like the, childhood experiences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, I mean, it's kind of bonkers, the, the connections they've made from childhood mm -hmm. trauma to things like addiction and mm -hmm. mental illness and mm -hmm. things like that. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, exactly. it's really devastating. It's, it's hard to, yeah. Yeah. It's it's devastating, and it's also to me there's something really um, beautifully profound about it because uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the 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 study group, the people who actually participated in that research study, were all I think middle aged white men mm. uh, with insurance through Kaiser. Oh, so that's a very spe very specific demographic, right? Yep. But to me, so, you know, we can look at that as maybe a negative because, well, you know, let's look at other populations, right? right. But what that tells me is like, middle-aged white men have trauma. Right. If middle-aged white men have trauma, we all think have how bad, trauma. Like, <laughs> think how bad it is like, for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, come on, you know, we all have trauma and, and that they're, they're, you know, as a general collective, they're, they're the ones who are like leading the, the Western world and the civilized yep. world, right? They're the ones making the decisions. So they're making decisions from a traumatized body and mind. Yeah. And they're making decisions in like every arena, like the big ones, exactly. the small ones, the book publishing, yeah. the everything in between. It's insane. Mm -hmm. like yeah exactly right exactly right and so to me there's like this sort of uh, usually un unacknowledged truth that like yeah white folks have some some stuff too black people brown people marginalized people are not the only ones out here suffering from trauma it is not a singular issue racial issue and so for me there's sort of this opening of like yes we we all need to be doing this work um, and especially white people who do have the um, the current privilege, right, and power in terms of decision making and stuff. That like, hey, you you need to be in therapy too, <laughs> right. right? And right. so like, it's terrifying thinking about sometimes thinking about the ACE study because it's like if you you know have two or more of these 10 terrible things that have happened in your childhood six. you're more susceptible yeah i have like five i think two or six um, i want to look up right what this is i have no idea yeah you can take is. the you can take this online you can um, just google aces study and 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 take the um it's just 10 things 10 uh questions yeah and basically you know the more you check the more susceptible you are to um uh addiction 
mental health issues, physical health issues, and ultimately uh, early death is like one of the worst sort of risks. Suicide is also on there. Um, and so thinking about that, you know, A, to me, it's sort of, how do I say this? It's like, I use trauma, that word trauma very loosely, but also very accurately. And most people think, well, no, I was okay. Things didn't really happen. I'm fine. I didn't have trauma. Like everybody's had trauma. (laughs) I want everybody to like, think of that, think of life that way, that life is traumatic. And our current society over time has been really problematic for like all of us in different ways. Yes. But nonetheless, the effect on our brain and our bodies is the same. Hmm. We all have a fight flight mechanism, right? We all have blood. That's the the level of sameness, um, the behavioral sort of aspects of it, right? And the cultural aspects and the privilege of like, well, who gets to, you know, do certain things that's different. Right. The outside is different, but what's going on inside is the same. And we all have, you know, some element of that. And I think, you know, the other piece is that the ACEs study does not include resilience or resources Mm. that have that counteract that. So why could somebody maybe who has like a six on the ACEs study be like really healthy and well, well, maybe they had a really strong parent or they had a really awesome mentor, or they were introduced to, you know, sports or art or something like that, where they had a, they had a sense of efficacy in their lives and they had a sense of like empowerment in their lives. Right. There's all these other factors that go into um, your, your health and wellness. Right. So just because you've had negative things happen, doesn't mean you're stuck. No, no, you're wrong. I'm doomed. I'm doomed, Inertia. <laughs> well, well, you are particularly, but yes, me, me, I'm thriving. It's like... Yes, specifically me. Yeah, uh, uh, I appreciate that, and I, I, I do think here. about that stuff. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, Inertia, you're the best. We we love you Aww. and and love your brain, and uh, I wish we can go on forever. But this is a know. you know. You know, yeah. a show that uh, doesn't go on forever, like you mean empathy does. Right. Um, where where can the listeners uh, learn more about the work you do and like connect with you? Yeah, yeah, and and thank you so much. Um, I love being a part of this with you guys. Um, so most simple way of kind of finding out who I am, where I am, is going to my website, which is inertiadewitt.com. That's I-N-E-R-T-I-A, just like the word. Um, that's where basically everything is. Um, and then the podcast is on Spotify and iTunes and all those types of platforms. And it's again, healing is mutual. I'm going to be launching, um, sort of like, well, I'm calling it OHM, O-H-M, but it stands for operation healing is mutual. <laughs> and it's it. this, it's going to be sort of like a membership type thing where you get to actually participate and practice cer- certain exercises that, 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 on a, on a chemical neurochemical level, um, you know, really support, um, that self-love elixir I was talking about Mm. that it actually mends the brain and, um, develops resources and resilience on the embodied level, not just the behavioral level. That sounds amazing. Launching that very soon. January. January. Awesome. I'm excited. That is very soon. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. So it'll be um, videos uh, where you can follow along guided things and also live sessions with me where we get to come together and practice together and ask questions and whatnot. Um, 
and it'll be very affordable because part of what I'm doing is also, you know, I'm aware that therapy is, is perceived as expensive based on people's, you know, financial situations. And part of me, like being a business person is like, I have uh, authorship over how I want to structure my business. And part of those structural changes going back to systems, right. It's like, okay, how do you create a new system that isn't based on competition, right? If that's one of my like thoughts, right. Okay. It's not based on scarcity and it's not based on competition. Well, having affordable things that multiple people can access at the same time is a great way to, for me to give back, um, and still make sure that I'm also taken care of and, you know, all of that good stuff. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again for being a part of It's Okay to Feel. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. This has been awesome. And I look forward to maybe speaking with you guys another time. (laughs) Definitely. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode, we would love for you to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or just to say hello, head over to Instagram at Nami underscore OC, N-A-M-I underscore OC, or say hi to known at you, me, empathy, or me, Jennifer, at Jennifer Lynn, J-E-N-I-P-H-E-R-L-Y-N. Thanks. Have a beautiful day.